hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Yes, Suckatash Chats, the original comedy soundcast featuring interviews from comedy... Soundcast. Soundcasters, comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folks. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark Hershaw. Yes, it's me, Mark Hershon, your host and 100% genuine cowhide casual travel jacket for Epi 148 of Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. Your ears are staring down the barrel of another Succotash Chats show, this time around featuring my conversation with podcast pioneer, yes, I'm using the P word, G- wait a minute. Have you rated Succotash yet up on iTunes? Because that's a move that can really help us out in terms of new people finding us. Just go up to iTunes right now and give us five stars along with a few sentences about how Succotash has changed your life for the better. Go on. We'll wait. done? That's great. I really appreciate it. Anyway, as I was about to say, the show this time around features my conversation with podcast pioneer, yes, I'm using the P word, Jimmy Pardo. I've spoken with Jimmy a couple of times while I was at the Los Angeles Podcast Festival over the years, but this is the first time I got to yak it up with him mano y mano. We talk about his Never Not Funny soundcast, now in its 11th year, and how he was one of the first guys to cast his line, out into the soundcast pond. Here's a taste. The, the podcast, the comedy podcast boom hadn't happened yet. So I and Matt, uh, like we were like, well, why are we doing this? We kind of felt like, yes, we have a loyal fan base and yes, we're having fun doing it, which, by the way, are two great reasons to do it. So it sounds like I'm bitching about something, but I'm <laughs> but it was still kind of like we kind of felt like losers doing this thing like on cable access, you know, like just. <laughs> some stupid show that like, why are we doing, are we, are, why are we playing pretend radio for these people? So we said, let's try doing a, 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 a pay uh, format. And if it works great, and if it doesn't, we'll bail on this thing because podcasting isn't taking off anyway. There is a lot more where that came from coming up very shortly. We also talk about his eighth upcoming podcastathon, 12 straight hours of live soundcasting for a good cause. And although he won't come right out and say who his guests are, he does hint around enough that you should be able to get a good idea of who's going to drop by to help him out next Saturday, March 4th. More details on that in the interview. Elsewise on this edition, we have an installment of our Burst O' Durst segment with political wag and social gadfly Will Durst. And a visit to the tweet sack to read your tweets and emails. The whole mess is brought to you by our friends at Henderson's Pants. Trusted friends, are you part of the 99%? With tax season just around the corner, there's no better time to hitch up your britches and occupy a pair of Henderson's accountant's pants. 
created by Henderson's Pants CFO Samuel Grifter to keep track of the company's then meager finances right after the stock market crash of 1929, these trousers have a series of interlocking rear pockets made for storing and sorting receipts, invoices, and financial records of every kind. Perfect for day-to-day purchases, as well as those one-time big-ticket items. Just pop the paperwork in the patented paper pusher in the back of every pair of Henderson's accountant's pants, and it is tucked away in the correct pocket every time. And these pants aren't just for keeping receipts in your seat. While you're taking care of business in the back, our deep pockets in the front are roomy enough to move all your money out of those giant banks and keep that folding green close to home. While there's no accounting for taste, you'll be cooking the books in style with your Henderson's accountant's pants. These trousers may be expensive, but even if you end up breaking the bank to buy a pair, they're made to tighten your belt automatically. And when tax time rolls around, there are no more forms to fill out. Just drop trow and send your Henderson's accountant's pants to the IRS. From now on, instead of giving Uncle Sam the shirt off your back, you can give him the pants right off your ass. Originally designed for Black Friday, Bernie Madoff, and national bankers who have trouble keeping their pants on, Henderson's accountant's pants are available wherever the 1% are making a mockery of capitalism. That's Henderson's, makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1783. And now back to Sockatash. Thank you, Bill Haywatt. I wanted to do a quick shout out to our associate producer, Tyson Saner. I've got an arsenal full of podcast clips that Tyson has harvested, and I will be unleashing them in the next edition of this very soundcast. I also wanted to let you know that Tyson has teamed up with a big soundcast listener and supporter of our show, Hunter Block. And they're bringing you a show of their very own. That's right. It's called The Antisocial Show, and it's up on SoundCloud. I don't think they've put it up on iTunes yet, uh, but you can certainly find it on SoundCloud, and I will link it through this episode's show blog at SuccotashShow.com so you can find your way to The Antisocial Show a little easier. And in the next episode of this show, I'll play a clip of their show. How about that? All right, let's pop the cork on the latest Burst O' Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the president. And yes, we're talking about him again. You want to know why? Because every day there's something. Every single day the doomsday clock inches forward a few seconds. And living on the West Coast makes it even scarier because we always wake up wondering what fresh hell has gone down already. He's had a three-hour head start on lighting the fuse to Armageddon. Recently, the president held a press conference where he disputed logic and math. Talking about his national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who retired after 24 days, in excruciatingly long 24 days, Trump said the intelligence leaks that revealed Russian connections were criminal, but the news about them was fake. Anything he doesn't like gets labeled fake news. He's jumped on the phrase like an old dog with a new chew toy. Fake news, fake news. He repeats it so much he runs the risk of becoming known as the fake news president. Pretty soon, we won't need the news in that phrase. He (laughs) continually holds the press to a standard he refuses to live up to. Said he had more electoral votes than anybody since Reagan. Which is true only if you don't include Clinton, George H.W. Bush, or Obama. 
three of the four presidents since Reagan. When a reporter pointed out the discrepancy, T. Rump said, well, that's what someone told me. He went on to call his administration a finely tuned machine, which certainly sounds better than out-of-control dumpster fire, but might perhaps be a tad less accurate. Whatever kind of machine he's talking about, you don't want any kids around it. T. Rump also says he knows stuff that nobody else does. Can't imagine what it might be, but fairly certain we can rule out anything algebraically based. For Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. Discover more of Will's material and upcoming appearances on his home site, willdurst.com, or follow him on Twitter at Will Durst. I'll be back with whatever might be floating around in the tweet sack, as well as our cavalcade of gratitude, after my visit with the friendly, fast, and funny Jimmy Pardo. Welcome to the show, Jimmy Pardo, a a legend in the uh, in podcast land, if I may. Uh, I, I'll take it. Thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> I've been doing uh, Succotash for almost six years, come April. Okay. Uh, but you have been doing this uh, a long time, as podcasting goes it'll be 11 years come april so yeah wow amazing Amazing. yeah we uh we got in when nobody knew what a podcast really was there was you know i I guess tech podcasts were pretty popular but as far as comedy goes you know people knew ricky gervais uh his podcast and uh but otherwise i don't the onion had one but uh yeah, we my, my you know my co-host now of eleven years, Matt Belknap, asked me to if I wanted to do a podcast, and I said sure, and here we are. That's amazing. So, uh, never not funny is uh, is the name of of the podcast, and uh, it's a great podcast. I've covered it several times for uh, for uh, Splitsider dot com and Huffington Post right. uh, and whatnot. And we, you and I have met a couple times at the um, the podcast festival in L.A. in passing. Um, Am I friendly to you? I, I, I'm always concerned when people say that we that we've done that. I, I make sure I, I'm always panicked that I'm not uh, rude or dismissive. Please tell me I was not rude or dismissive. You you aren't because uh, the times we've met, um, I normally hold down a corner in the podcast lab. So when you enter that room, you seem to realize that you'll be speaking with people. Uh, so I don't know if you are rude on a normal basis, but uh, you're always quite friendly in that particular context. I I, 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 listen, I think I'm friendly all the time, but I, but I think in, in situations like that where, uh, but you're right. If you're in that room, I'm, I'm, I'm geared to somebody's going to chit chat with you, but you know, when you're in the hallway or whatever, walking through like a podcast festival like that, or any sort of comedy festival, it's like, and you're met with so many different people, you can't give everybody the three minutes they want, but you can give them two minutes. But if you give them two minutes, they're like, hey, that guy, that guy was rude to me. So that's, <laughs> it's like, I, I, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom. Give me a break, brother. <laughs> um, you and I have a, actually a number of uh, comedy friends in common. Uh, Walk me through them. I'll give you my opinion of them in one word. Who do we have? <laughs> well, uh, uh, an awful lot of people. Everyone from, uh, from Rick Overton. To, Love him. Uh, to Patton Oswald, to uh, hate him. Matt Weinhold, to I don't hate Pat. Well, I don't hate Patton. I just made that, that for humor. Um, <laughs> these are all great people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because uh, I've I've been uh, I started out as a, in the comedy booking side of the industry back in the uh, in 1980. Oh, uh, good lord! Yeah, I used to book. Uh, uh, I worked with uh, the with Fox Productions in San Francisco, and we booked the Punchline. I was the general manager at the Comedy Underground in Seattle between 82 and 85. 
Uh, so wow. I've been around a while. Um, yeah, boy, oh, boy. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I don't, your voice doesn't uh, make you sound that old. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> and that's uh, – I was even, I was going to guess, based on you saying uh, Overton and Patton and Weinhold, if you were based out of uh, San Francisco. I, I only worked for the Fox Productions uh, a couple of times when they had that room in Reno. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 the, the uh, Just for Laughs room. Yeah, 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 and uh, where you could f- you literally get on Reno Air for like forty bucks yeah. and fly there. And I had to. I was uh, the first time I ever worked there. I, I was. I was. I also got my first pilot, which was a show called "Looking Up at the Nightly News" uh, with Gary Coleman, oh, wow. uh, who has now since passed on. Yeah. Um, the premise was: get this, uh, it's the news done from the point of view of. Uh, 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 what's about? I don't, I don't want to say short people because that uh, sure. seems insulting to even me. Um, <laughs> but it was that was the premise. Like all the news people were not uh, tall in stature, uh, which of course you can't tell at all when you put them behind a desk giving the news. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a very, that was that's it a was very... kind of a Daily Show before the Daily Show, but it was done again. The premise was that not everybody is tall and. So I had to do shows at, in Reno at night and then rehearse three times during the week for that pilot. But it, flights were only 40 bucks or whatever. So it was basically just like j- jumping on a – now it would be an Uber. Jumping on an Uber, but it was a plane <laughs> to fly back and forth between Reno and L.A. Uh, and I felt like this is show business. Yeah. Here we go, baby. Man, that, appro- uh, and that, then, that approach to Reno Airport is something. I don't know if you remember, it, but uh, it's just like a drop, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, was this the was this the just for laughs room that was right next to the airport in the in the Hilton? I think it was or the Hyatt. I, it it was in a it was in a casino. Yeah. Uh, um, and it was it ended, it ended up. Uh, I think Bud Freeman ended up turning it into an improv at one point. Um, but it was. Um, uh, oh, there was. I remember the the the, the casino. That, you know, had um, you could uh, hit golf balls out into a lake. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, again, I, I thought it was exciting show business. But you know, I think I think if I'm not mistaken, I think my shows in Reno sucked, and I'm pretty sure the pilot sucked. <laughs> so, uh, well, but boy, I felt like a big shot for a week and consistent and consistent. Yeah, which is good. Darn right. I'm not going to let uh, anybody feel good about the project. <laughs> now, how long have you been doing stand up? Um, I started my first open mic. Well, I did a couple open mics right after I turned 21 uh, in 1986. And then uh, for whatever reason, maybe I wasn't ready or whatever, I felt overwhelmed. I bailed on it. And then I returned about a year later in uh, October of 88 is when I started really doing open mics full time. Uh, My first paid gig was in March of 89. I quit my day job in July of 89. And I've been doing it uh, as my job ever since. That's great. Now, when you started Never Not Funny, because, um, you know, a lot of comics obviously have gotten into podcasting. I think they do it for various reasons. Was it was there a particular reason why you wanted to jump into it uh, in terms of uh, doing it sort of alongside your comedy career? You know, it was, you know, I mean, the, the cool hip thing to say is that I was between TV jobs, you know, which makes me sound like I work all the time. But <laughs> It kind of was the truth. I kind of hadn't, wasn't doing anything. I was doing, and I was doing these live shows at the UCB theater here in uh, Los Angeles. I was doing like a, you know, non-televised talk shows and game mm. shows and that sort of thing, which I loved doing. Um, I would still do them if it wasn't all the uh, work outside of that, uh, having to prep them and all that stuff. It gets a little bit tedious, but, um, 
Matt Belknap, uh, who I mentioned earlier, uh, was just a fan of mine, and he was running that specialthing.com website. I don't know if you, Eric, yeah. if you remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that celebrated alternative comedy, quote-unquote. And um, he had done a – he was doing like a uh, kind of an inside-the-comics-mind sort of podcast, and he came to my house with his co-host, and they interviewed me. And it was very dry, talking about the, the craft of stand-up, which I enjoyed. Um, and then when it was over, he – he said, you know, I think I'd have a heck of a lot more fun producing a podcast for you. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that means. And, you know, people always told me that I should do a blog online or, you know, back in the day where everybody was trying to, you know, you got to drive people back to your website. You got to get people's eyes and your dates aren't going to do enough. You got to get them to go there. And uh, people always kept telling me to write a blog. And, and whenever I write, it's, it literally sounds like a child doing a journal entry. It's horrible. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't know how to be funny in them. I don't know how to do any of it. So when he said do this podcast, I literally just saw it as, hey, this might be a way to do like a journal, but an audio journal, and we'll see what happens. Mm. And as I've said over the years, I, I was the last guy – on MySpace, I was the last guy on Facebook. <laughs> I, I I've only been on Twitter three years. I'm the last guy on that. Um, so when he said to do this podcast thing, I thought, you know what? Why not? I don't want to. I don't want this time to be the time where uh, I say nah, and then in what ends up happening, every, then every other comedian has a podcast. I'm like, son of a bitch, why did I do it? Yes. <laughs> so I kind of was my my my, my quote unquote cute way of saying this. I was following by leading. I didn't want to be left behind on something that I didn't even know would take off. So I started doing it first. That's great. That's great. If that makes sense. First of, of my group of people, I know people always put my feet to the fire whenever somebody says, you're the first. It's like, I realized I wasn't the first, but I, we all know what the F I mean. <laughs> well, one of the things about getting in there early, I think was uh, because before it completely exploded was you were able to actually uh, start a subscriber base, which uh, uh, a lot of, podcasters these days would be very, very jealous of, I'm sure, because uh, it's so dang hard to try and bring in any money. It, uh, it look, it, it was a blessing and a curse. It, 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 it made sense at the time. Um, and, and by the way, it's, it's, look, if I say that it's 70% blessing, let's make no mistake. <laughs> um, it, it, it was kind of the, the podcast, the comedy podcast boom hadn't happened yet. So I, and Matt, uh, like we were like, well, why are we doing this? We kind of felt like, yes, we have a loyal fan base, and yes, we're having fun doing it. Which, by the way, are two great reasons to do it. So it sounds like I'm bitching about something, but I'm. <laughs> but it was still kind of like we kind of felt like losers doing this thing, like on cable access, you know, like just <laughs> some stupid show that, like, why are we doing? Are we? Are, why are we playing pretend radio for these people? So we said, let's try doing a, 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 a pay uh, format, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, we'll bail on this thing because podcasting isn't taking off anyway. <laughs> so we tried the we went to a pay model. We were told to go f ourselves by a lot of people that we didn't understand the internet and how dare we try to make money. Uh, but then maybe seventy I'll use the number again, maybe seventy percent of the people that were listening to us said, "Yeah, we'll pay you for this. We love it." and so it worked out great, and then while we're behind this paywall, the comedy podcast boom happened, where you know here's you know Ackerman and 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 uh, Hardwick and Marin and uh, you know uh, all these other ones that are yeah. out there, and uh, they all came along, and and so we went from being like a top five podcast to 
kind of not even being mentioned anymore, you yeah. know, because we were behind this paywall and no, we, we, nobody knew uh, was joining us. Everybody, we had our great fan base. We were making money. Um, and, but then, you know, nobody, you know, everybody's going to, going to these other podcasts and nobody was coming to Never Not Funny. And eventually we figured that out. We joined Earwolf, you know, several years later. But, right, right. Uh, but yes, uh, I agree. I, I know, again, long-windedly, uh, I gave you an answer of uh, of why we went to a pay model. No, it's great. It's great. It made perfect sense at the time, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and, and, and to speak to what you said, it it made sense at the time, and then it eventually hurt us because we were behind the eight ball. But now I think in the long run, it goes to what you said of like everybody wishes they could monetize the podcast by making what was a great idea, then a mistake is actually turns out to be a great idea in the long run. So, you again, you end up winning. You're a winner. Well, I'm a winner for uh, that, 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 my wife and my son, those are my three things. <laughs> um, as a, as a stand-up comic, as I've, I've seen you work uh, a number of times uh, and just seeing you in conversation and hearing you on your show, um, you're really fast, but I don't, do you have any improv background at all? You know, right out of high school, I went to second city in Chicago and studied there uh, for that, uh, uh, that summer, whatever that summer program would have been or whatever they mm. called it at the time. Um, and that was it. Uh, you know, um, you know, you know, I think I learned more about show business than improvising. Uh, to be honest, uh, I don't know if I, you know, uh, you know, maybe I learned yes ending maybe, I, uh, but you know, we're talking 30 something years ago, so I don't remember everything, but sure. I, I think this is just who I am. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, because I mean that that yes, because I've I've been doing improv for for thirty years, and uh, you you definitely have that yes and ingrained in your responses. I think it's like you never really negate. Uh, you know, you you jump right in. Um, so it's just it's fascinating to see because I've often talked to standups when I was running the club and things like that. That you know, improv is a great tool to have. You know in your back pocket, even if you're a stand-up, just because it makes you quicker and you can respond faster. Uh, I think so, but I, I think there also I think there's also stand-ups that shouldn't do it. You know, it, it's they, they know how to craft a great joke. They're yeah. a great wordsmith. And, you know, I know so often they'll, they'll see me or they'll see Todd Glass or, you know, Jimmy Brogan or, you know, guys that, you know, Big J Okerson now, I, who I don't really know, but I've seen him work and he's very funny and off the, he, he too does a lot of improvising. Um, I think you know they they, all, they see us and they'll go, uh, oh, I, I I should probably take some improv classes so I could be like those guys. You don't you don't need to be like us. Be right. like you. Right, right, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, so you started the Pard Pardcastathon, uh, which is a fundraiser. Uh, this is the eighth annual coming up on March fourth, right? Yes, sir. And uh, what what started you doing this? Is uh, just so people know, this is. Uh, to raise money for the Smile Train charity, and you yes, can tell us a little bit more about that in a minute. But but what got you started doing this as a as a as a fundraiser? Um, you know it it uh, it, it may you know truthfully, truthfully it may have been self serving to begin with. It may have been, um, hey you know let's uh, you know uh, let's do a long show, let's do a marathon show uh, for the fun of it. And then we're like, yeah, but we need a reason to do this. Like, you know, we can't just, hey, we're going to be doing a long show. And we had just done um, a, a thing on Never Not Funny where we auctioned off 
uh, just by coincidence, Pat Francis, who now has his own podcast called Rock Solid, um, he, he and I both had donated to Smile Train the day before he came on Never Not Funny as a guest. Mm. And we presented the idea to the audience of, hey, whoever you know donates enough uh, uh, money to this auction, which all the proceeds will go to Smile Train, will get to come on Never Not Funny as a guest. Um, so it was me and Pat and uh, Francis and then, of course, my co-host Matt Belknap and so, uh, on that episode. And so when it came time to do this marathon show, we said, you know, uh, well, hey, we had that success with that auction with Smile Train. Uh, I believe in that organization. Why don't we do it as a telethon, which I always grew up loving. I loved as a kid sitting at, on Labor Day weekend. Yeah. And, and this can make me the saddest kid in the world. But <laughs> for, you know, for 48 hours sitting in my house watching Steve and Edie sing at three in the morning, um, you know, I, I always found that fascinating or, you know, you know, what, what, what crap act got five thirty in the morning and has to keep it entertaining for the people that are at home that are, you know, happen to stumble across this to donate money to Jerry's kids. And, um, <laughs> and I, I kind of wanted that vibe. So we, you know, when we first started, we did it from 9 PM to 6 AM uh, to kind of just do that overnight thing and to get, yeah. you know, giddy in the morning and, and blah, blah, blah. And, so that was really what started it on, on Smile Train, and um, uh, you know we raised about six thousand bucks that first year, and then last year, you know, uh, it, you know it's gone up every single year, and we raised one hundred eighty-four thousand dollars last year, and uh, all told, now I think we're close to eight hundred thousand that we've raised for these guys. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. and and very quickly because you alluded to it, uh, Smile Train is, uh, and Pat and Matt and I had the opportunity to go down to Mexico and watch them. Uh, watch them perform a procedure and meet some of the families uh, last year. Uh, each surgery, uh, what they do is they go to third world cities and, and they fix the cleft lips or cleft palates mm. of kids or and sometimes adults um, that can't otherwise afford to have the surgery. And the surgery, because the doctors and the staff, they all donate their time, the surgery uh, only takes 45 minutes and only costs $250, uh, which is what attracted me to their ad. Uh, it said, you know, for $250, you could change a child's life. And mm. my head understood that. It didn't feel like I'm just throwing money into research or whatever, which, by the way, is all great. I'm not dismissing any of that. But this was like you see the before and after of a child, and it's like, wow, for 250 bucks, I could make this kid's life better? Wow, Done. Yeah. That's amazing. And so that's kind of why it answered. And, and Smile Train kind of came, you know, when, when, we, when they eventually became aware of what we were doing for them, you know, and they asked me for a quote, you know, it, it sounded cheesy, but it was kind of like, you know, we're both in the business of putting smiles on people's faces. You know, me as this clown comedian and them as, as these <laughs> wonderful doctors doing great work. So uh, it just seemed like a perfect fit. That's great. That's great. And you've had uh, a great range of guests uh, mm. over over the uh, the years you've been doing it. Um, just uh, from uh, the information I got. Uh, you've had Conan O'Brien and Sarah Silverman and Patton Oswalt, John Hamm, and on and on. The list goes on and on. Um, any uh, any teasers as to who you have coming up this year? Uh, you know, I I, I I I believe we have some sort of agreement with the AV Club uh, to do a. Uh, they have an exclusive on the guest list this year. I see. So okay. I don't know if I'm allowed to give teasers. Um, but I, you know, a lot of the regulars will be back. That's a good way to say that. Okay. Um, and another way, uh, you know, in the past, uh, like uh, Sarah Silverman has been very gracious with her time, uh, and I believe she's made 
uh, six of the or five of the seven we've done so far. Sarah has been a part of. Wow. Um, and so one would hope she'd be there again this year. Um, and people like Conan O'Brien and John Hamm both donate their they either if they're in town, they have graciously shown up. And if they're not in town, they will call in and we'll FaceTime with them and um, or we'll do a video with them or something will happen where, uh, again, everybody is very gracious with their time. And uh, if they are not there in person, most likely they will call in, hopefully. That's great. That's great. Has the um, has the the podcast uh, Never Not Funny, do you think it's given you sort of more range and distance than you would have gotten had you j- just kind of stuck to just doing stand-up? Oh, no question. And it's it's night and day, um, and I hope I'm answering your, uh, uh, your question. You know, when I go to the clubs now, you know, uh, most of the audience knows who I am. Yeah. Um, whereas you know, before the podcast, uh, and even though I've, I had some late night exposure and, and, and hosted game shows and stuff on television, it still was like, a, you know, please welcome Jimmy Pardo. And I kind of got to convince that audience that I'm funny. Um, now they're coming to see me and I'm going to clubs that like were outside of my world. Mm-hmm. You know, there was people that booked me consistently and I was grateful for it. And, uh, but then the podcast, you know, people started asking their clubs, when are you going to get Jimmy Pardo and on and on and then eventually I'm working new clubs. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, I hope I'm answering your question. Yeah. Was that, was yeah. that your question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's part of it. And also just in terms of sort of your, uh, I'll call it your sort of uh, sphere of not really influence, but just in terms of, I mean, if you're just looking at the guest list of who you've had on, on the show before uh, or in the past, um, you know, would these people have sort of been on, would you have been on their radar had it not been for the popularity of Never Not Funny? Boy, that's a great question. I don't know. You know, I, I knew a lot of these people because of, um, you know, my shows at the UCB. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Richard Lewis and I, uh, we we did we have not become the best friends that I, you know, in my uh, in my younger community <laughs> days thought I would be with Richard. Uh, but when I met Richard and I had lunch with them uh, with a mutual friend and I was like, hey, you, you know, why don't you come on my podcast? You know, it gave me a, a way to then do something creative with one of my heroes, which I wouldn't have had that opportunity, you know, otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what uh, what other things uh, are you involved with uh, these days besides the, the show and doing your stand-up, uh, still going out for, like, TV stuff, things like that? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, I, I've had, you know, the last uh, – when I started in 2009 working at The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien – uh, as his opening actor, you know, the warm-up comic is, is it's more commonly known. I said opening act mainly for my ego. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and also I didn't feel like they never treated me like a warm-up act. They treated me like a guy that went out and I got to do my time and then I was done. I didn't have to hold hands and throw out candy bars and do all that nonsense. But um, I started there in 2009. So I kind of, that was five days a week. That was uh, at the Tonight Show. And then it was four days a week when we moved over to uh, TBS. So there really wasn't time to, you know, I, you know, I wasn't doing a lot of acting to begin with. Uh, I would probably get one role every couple of years. Um, but I had to stop doing all the auditioning for acting and then even hosting auditioning. I had to stop. And uh, and I was grateful to have the, the gig with Conan, which was the greatest thing that ever happened. Other than the podcast, meeting Conan, having Andy Richter recommend me for that job. Uh, was the greatest thing to happen because every day I get to go to work with the funniest people in the world and I've got this consistent paycheck and, you know, my, 
agent, TJ Markwalter, my personal appearance agent, said to me, uh, hey, Jim, it's only a matter of when I first got the job, uh, there's only a matter of time before they realize how funny you are and they'll start using you more. And sure enough, he was right. They started mm. using me in remotes and in sketches. And then uh, eventually I was I was like, I've been, a, you know, I'm a guest on there once or twice a year. Uh, and then Andy Richter had to miss a couple of shows. They asked me mm. uh, to fill in for Andy. So like that all came, that was all great stuff. And uh, so everything else kind of went by the wayside because I had this finally a full-time job in Hollywood, uh, granted mostly behind the scenes, but I'm working, right. um, and going out and doing some standup. Uh, and then, boy, it's two years already now. Um, I got the job. I, uh, hosting, uh, didn't even have to audition. They offered me to host, um, a show called race to escape that was on science channel, which was a great show about mm. escape rooms. And, uh, sadly we only got one season, but, because I got that job, I had to miss some Conan tapings, and it was ridiculous that I was trying to do both. And it was, you know, time to, hey, you've been hired now to star in your own show. Maybe it's time to move on from Conan. And uh, it just so happened that you know Conan and 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 all those people over there were kind of feeling like, you know, I had uh, outgrown my role there. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, two years. I think it's two years ago, maybe even this week that. Uh, I left my full-time job with Conan, but I have a development deal with them, and so nice. we are out pitching, quote-unquote, the Jimmy Pardo show in whatever format that network wants to see me dance. <laughs> Is there a thought that you'll – you? I mean, I I think you guys do a video a video um, feed of Never Not Funny, don't you? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, – uh, if I'm not mistaken, we have uh, about uh, seven too many cameras providing <laughs> that feed. Is there is there ever the thought that the Jimmy Pardo show on TV would be a version of Never Not Funny, essentially? Well, that would be – I mean, that in an ideal world, yes. Um, I think we are uh, not unlike the um, – uh, late eighties, early nineties, where everybody tried to compete with Johnny Carson during his last days. Um, I think we are oversaturated with talk shows at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think that is hurting, uh, guys like me and I'm not alone. There's other talented guys that could host a talk show or host a, you know, a, a, a chat round table. And, uh, I think we're just kind of getting uh, lost in the in the uh, sea of Jimmy's on late night. Yeah. Yeah. On TV. But you know, it's kind of interesting. Cause I think, I mean, I think Chelsea Handler has now a, a sort of a talk show, I guess on, I think is it Amazon. I can't remember. I, I think it's Netflix, Netflix. Uh, so it seems yeah. like there's this whole other realm now that's opening up with streaming that talk shows really haven't started to pierce yet, which is kind of interesting. Cause it is sort of the joining of It's sort of the, I guess you could say it's a hybrid of, almost podcasting and television because it's so sort of niche and people have to want to go see it. It's not like it's being broadcast into their homes, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, and so that to that end, we're kind of already doing that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're already providing that, like you said, the video feed and people are subscribing to watch the video. Uh, now granted, you know, uh, that's limited again, going back to kind of the, the paywall thing from earlier, but um you know, it, but if, you know, if Netflix or somebody came to us or, you know, uh, with a, uh, a decent offer, uh, you know, obviously we'd have a hundred percent have to consider it and probably would welcome it. Right. Right. Um, what about getting back to the, to the sort of the world of podcasts, which has become, I mean, when you started, there was, like you said, there was a handful of comedy shows at that. Now there are literally over a hundred thousand comedy podcasts out oh, there. And there's it's crazy. There's over three hundred thousand podcasts 
about every subject, you know, whether it's science or uh, TV shows or whatever they are. And so what is, what does that feel like from where you started in the podcast industry to where it is now? Do you, do you sense that sort of overwhelming amount of content now? I do. And, and, and it comes from, you know, I, I've been on both sides of this where, when I started this and, and, you know, when we first started, we, we had a guest on every four episodes. That was the, the premise because at the time we had a, a third guy that was there consistently named Mike Schmidt, who has his own podcast. Now the 40 year old boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was me, Matt and Mike. And for the first year, and we'd have a guest on every four episodes. And whenever I would ask somebody to do the podcast, they were like, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> and like I said, and then going back to like fake, that fake radio thing of like, they would come to my house. We'd be at my dining room table and we're doing like, it, again, it felt like kids doing an impression of radio. It was weird, and uh, but then it was fun, and everybody, you know, we were like, "Hey, that was a great time." This is, and you treat it like a radio show, Jimmy, and we love it. So it went from me asking people to do the podcast and them not knowing what the hell I was asking them to do, to then, uh, like, even the first time when Conan did it, uh, which he was gracious enough to do it when he was hosted at the Tonight Show. And um, it was his way of letting me know, I guess, that you know he really enjoyed what I was doing on the mm. show and that I was part of the team. Uh, but he didn't know what a podcast was and cause nobody did. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And he came to our studio and it was very fun. And, uh, and then there was a little time there where, okay, we're asking people to do a podcast and people are still into it and still into it. Now when I ask, but I, when people go, what do you do for a living? And it's like, well, I have a podcast. Oh yeah. My cousin's got one and this guy's got one. And you know, it's like, no, 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 you don't get it. I have a podcast. <laughs> Your cousin has a hobby. I got in 11 years ago. Like, but I, but, but in their mind, and they're not wrong. In their mind, we're no different. Yeah. It's no. Uh, it's very odd. It's 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 a strange. Or to ask somebody, hey, you want to do my podcast? And you could just see their eyes roll back in their head, like, oh, here's another a hole asking me to be on his podcast. <laughs> uh, where it was kind of special for a while to. Yeah, I'll come and do that. That sounds neat. Whereas now it's like, oh, I'm pretty booked up. And, you know, what are your numbers? Uh, you know, we can't have him come over if uh, your numbers aren't great. Or your number, are you getting Mark Maron numbers? No, yeah. nobody is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. it's uh, So, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you experience the same thing. It's, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a pain in the ass. And, uh, but you know what? As I always say, we have we have our uh, our people, our regulars, uh, regular guests that people love, and whatever we can sprinkle that in with, uh, you know, we don't try to compete by getting the famous people. But if a famous person happens to come on our show, great. Uh, but you know what? We've gotten just as great a response on famous people as we have with people like you know. I keep going back to Pat Francis, who nobody knew who that was. He was just my funny friend who I knew from stand up. Yeah. Um, and people loved him or, you know, Paul Gilmartin or at the time, Paul F. Tompkins, who had a little bit of, uh, you know, recognition factor, but, uh, you know, more people learned about him from my podcast. So, uh, I'm grateful that we have that, that we, you know, we, we could bring back guys like Rich Summer, who's a character actor, but he's wonderfully funny and great. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and we don't have to rely on, you know, famous people in order to, you know, keep our numbers up. No, what's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I get to interview occasionally, you know, big, big people, like just because I'm friends with like Dana Carby. So he's been on the show three times, you know, or four times. Um, but normally I just, I'm talking to either of their podcasters or comedians or sometimes directors or whoever they are. It doesn't really matter. It's just entertaining people. Right. Um, right. and we're, it feels like we're providing a platform for this sort of 
lower tier of people that other people should know, that the public should know, and they don't get any exposure. They don't get to go on the talk shows. They don't get to, you know, show up where, you know, Joe Public is going to see them. So I think podcasting does provide this service where we're exposing listeners to um, some people they should know. I think so, too. And I think I know that a lot of uh, – and I'm not going to throw names around because I don't want them to uh, think that I don't think they're famous. But I've had people, you know, that – or, you know, I'll use my my friend Ellis Paul, the musician, as a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know Ellis Paul. I was a fan of Ellis Paul. I would go to see him whenever he would come to L.A. Uh, I would go to see him in concert. And I, I believe even on one of our very first episodes, season one, uh, you know, almost 11 years ago, I said, man, this guy's music, you know, speaks to me. And I wish one day I could be friends with Ellis Paul. <laughs> well, then years go by, and he's just a folk singer. He's a, And I don't mean just in the, in the pejorative. Yeah. He's just... He's a singer-songwriter who I think is brilliant, who has a following, but he's not a household name. And I invited him on my podcast. He came on. He and I hit it off. He and his manager, we all hit it off. And Ellis and I have become friends. But the whole reason I bring it up is Ellis will always say it doesn't matter where town he's going to now. At least one person, which is which is crazy in the world of folk music, <laughs> at least one person will come up and say, "I'm only here because I heard you on Never Not Funny." Wow! And so that's and that's in the folk world, and, and so it's also going into comedy, and you know where people are saying to me, uh, "Hey, you know what? I, I I never even heard of you, but then I heard John Jimmy Pardo's podcast, thought you were hysterical, and now I came to see you at Helium in St. Louis, you know that sort of thing." Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I know I basically just repeated what you said in a lot of different words and plugged Ellis Paul. <laughs> well, I'm going to see if I can get him on as a guest now. You know what? I think you should because, uh, A, he's, he's, he's brilliantly uh, talented and he's also fascinating. And he's another guy who, uh, you know, is he's always I, – I, I don't want to – he's won amazing awards for his music and stuff like that. So when I'm comparing myself to him, it's like I only say that because we're both – in our fields, and this will be the most uh, uh, arrogant that I'll ever sound. Uh, <laughs> we're both so well respected within our fields, and we're you know to be considered a com- comics comic and whatever. But yet, I'm not a household name, and I've I've achieved a lot, and and, and I'm grateful for all my success. But I'm still like, you know, uh, not everybody knows who I am. And Ellis the same way in music. Like he's this guy who is just. His, his second to none, his peers all like, you know, well, who's the best working right now? Ellis Paul. Like they say it without a, without a, a hesitation. Yeah. Um, so his, our careers have just paralleled so much in these different worlds. Uh, so for that reason, you should have him on and bring up that I mentioned this and make him feel like crap about himself. That's hilarious. Um, so let's, uh, let's uh, talk about the podcast-a-thon again before uh, sure. our, our time runs out here. So you've got... Oh, are we running uh, tight on time? We get to it. However, whatever time you need. No, no, no. We're, I, I don't want to use up your morning and, uh, you know, I think... And you're sick of it. I get it. No, no, no. I could talk to you for hours. In fact, I hope uh, hope you come back on uh, just, to, just to chat uh, at length again. I, I get down to L.A., uh, fairly frequently, and it would be great to talk to you, you know, in person in the room. Um, 100% agree with phone. that. Phone, but uh, let's uh, make sure people know about the the eighth annual podcastathon. Uh, it's coming up March fourth, and it runs from noon till midnight Pacific Standard Time. That's correct, and they could watch it on uh, nevernotfunny.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all streams live there. Uh, it also uh, there'll be a donation button there. Uh, so you can donate the smile train. We also have a bunch of auctions. There'll be a button on the front page for that as well. Uh, we do auctions like, uh, you know, go to lunch with Jimmy and Matt 
uh, go to a concert with uh, Pat Francis. Uh, uh, what else have we done? Go golfing. Uh, and then uh, the celebrities all bring, not all, some, you know, are, are mm-hmm. nice enough to bring, uh, you know, like Rich Summer will bring or John Hamm will bring uh, a signed box set of Mad Men. Oh, okay. And then we auction that sort of thing off. And uh, Doug Benson also always donates, uh, you know, be a uh, guest on Doug's podcast yeah. and, you know, his, uh, his doper fans are nice enough to, uh, <laughs> donate a lot of money to, uh, spend some time with Doug. Uh, so people are very generous with their time as well as, uh, these, uh, uh, experiences that we auction off. And quite frankly, we make, you know, we make a lot of money for smile train through these auctions. That's great. And so there's also a YouTube channel. I think that, uh, you'll be able to watch the, the, podcast a thought on too you know the fact that i'm starting to do uh these interviews i probably should learn what that is uh, to me it's just always easier to steer people towards never not funny.com because i i know that answer but yeah there is it's on jash right is that yes the... that's right okay well cool uh jimmy it's been a pleasure to talk to you uh away from the swirl of the podcast festival madness um, which is always fun right i love it i've been i start i fund i kickstarted the uh, the very first one um, oh. and have gone every year since. And last year they actually started using me. I was uh, hosting a, a moderating a panel on journalism and podcasting. And uh, I love let those me, guys and I love the, love it. Let me ask you a question. And, and uh, obviously you could edit any of this out. Um, when they do the panels at those things, uh, is the turnout decent? Cause I'm always busy doing a show. I never get a chance to pop my head in those. Are they fun? And are they, uh, the turnout good? Yeah, ours. I mean, I don't go to a lot of them because I'm usually in the podcast lab. But um, ours turned out there was a lot of folks there. I was really surprised, you know, because they always put it in like a tiny room uh, that's like away from everything else. So I'm surprised people right. can't even find their way there. But uh, I, I found, I mean, my guests were really um, very thoughtful it was about journalism. I had two, uh, the two women who, the host and the producer from. Uh, this uh, podcast only been out for about a year called criminal, which is uh, they look at these real crime stories. And then a a guy who's a tech editor for, um, uh, I think it's uh, one of the publications in LA. I can't remember which one now, but um, it was, I found it very interesting. We got into some uh, really interesting discussions about how uh, podcasting has affected journalism the the precepts of journalism how it works you know there's no kind of stop gaps of having having editors and copy editors and things like that so right it's become kind of crazy uh that's great i, I i'm thrilled like it's like i said i never get a chance to pop in there because you know again i'm avoiding uh, talking to people in the hallway and then i'm doing a show yeah exactly exactly uh jimmy this has been great and uh appreciate your time and look forward to uh to tuning in if we can still use that term for part for podcast i still will to the podcast-a-thon and uh again love to see uh, see you in person and chat it up when uh, i get to la next time i would love to please contact uh, me to do that um and i appreciate you having me on today and uh you know, all the stuff you've done for you know in the past for split cider and now HuffPo and all that nonsense my pleasure you have yourself uh, a great week You too. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks to Jimmy for taking the time to chat with me. Don't forget to catch the 8th Annual Podcast-a-thon coming up this Saturday, March 4th. Easiest way to get there, nevernotfunny.com. It starts at noon, ends at midnight, and it's all to benefit a great cause, Smile Train. All right. It's Tweet Sack time. Hiya, Tweety. I won't lie to you. The Tweet Sack has been looking a little thin of late. No, not thin. Sickly. 
which is fine, really. If you've got nothing to ask of me or say to me via the electronic message platforms, that's your business. But until I begin hearing more from listeners, I may be retiring this segment. In fact, you know what? That's just what I'm going to do, starting right now. Get in there, Tweety. Sorry, bud. I'll let you out once we start getting some emails or some really important tweets. But we will continue to enjoy our cavalcade of gratitude every episode where I thank you for mentioning Succotash in your tweets, retweets, follows, likes, hearts, thumbs up, etc. If you mentioned us, we'll do our best to mention you. And it goes a little something like this. Podcast whore, J Price 2 let's chat, laughable. Hey, have I told you that Succotash is available on the Laughable app? That's right. You can find us there right now. Oh, you're listening to us right now. Never mind. Podcast Booster Bot, Stories Podcast, Ice in the Face, Amanda Bynes or Bynes, Spare Men, Illusionoid, Rapture Insurance, Cassipeid, Dale Seaver, We Got This, Jersey Comic New, Rowdy, Rowdy City, In Poor Taste, Reed Santini, Maxi Croning, John Ponder, Changes in Latitude, Dave Nelson, Dustin Jacobs, Dino Kelts, Cynthia Raymond, Thrifty, Dave in the Cave, Podcast Madness, Salty Language Podcast, Dan Taberski, Missing, Missing Richard Simmons, Tiger and Socko Jones, Chris Daniels, The Slant, Neil M- Modi, David Frey, Ed Wallach, Penny Carr, Strange Times Podcast, Davian Dent, Christine Blackburn, Man from Another Place, Beck Yak Angler, Minutia Men, See, Here's the Thing, Corky Knievel, Platypus Podcasting, and Bay Area Comedy. And that, my friends, is pretty much that. The best way for you to help to pass the Suckatash is to let your friends and family know that they can get it in a ton of different places. The Laughable App, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, our Facebook page, Overcast, Podbay, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and even right from our home site, it's SuckatashShow.com. Okay, Epi 148 is toast. Goodbye. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, and on Ha Ha Ha, the laughable app. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash you slash Suckatash. Suckatash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Sainer. Our musical director is Scott Covey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please... 
past the succotash. Goodbye.